Chapter Seventeen, Part Two, of Kangaroo by D. H. Lawrence, published in nineteen twenty-three. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by William Jones, Benita Springs, Florida. Chapter Seventeen: Kangaroo Is Killed, Part Two of Two the past all gone so frail and thin what have i cared about what have i cared for there is nothing to care about absolved from it all the soft blue humanless sky of australia the pale white unwritten atmosphere of australia tabula rasa the world a new leaf and on the new leaf nothing the clarity of the australian fragile atmosphere without a mark without a record why have i cared i don't care how strange it is here to be soulless and alone that was the perpetual refrain at the back of his mind to be soulless and alone by the southern ocean in australia why do i wrestle with my soul I have no soul. Clear as the air about him, this truth possessed him. Why do I talk of the soul? My soul is shed like a sheath. I am soulless and alone, soulless and alone. That which is soulless is perforce alone. The sun was curving to the crest of the dark ridge. As soon as the sun went behind the ridge, shadow fell on the shore and cold wind came he would go home but he wanted the sun not to sink he wanted the sun to stand still for fear it might turn back to the soulful world where love is and the burden of bothering he saw something clutch in a pool crouching he saw a horror a dark gray brown striped octopus thing with two smallish white beaks or eyes living in a cranny of a rock in a pool it stirred the denser viscous pool of itself and unfurled a long dark arm through the water an arm studded with bright orange-red studs or suckers then it curled the arm in again cuddling close perhaps a sort of dark shore octopus starfish colored amid its darkness it was watching him as he crouched he dropped a snail shell near it it huddled closer and one of the beak-like white things disappeared or were the eyes heaven knows it eased out again and from its dense jelly mass another thick dark arm swayed out studded with the sea orange studs and he crowded and watched while the white water hissed nearer to drive him away creatures of the sea creatures of the sea the sea water was round his boots he rose with his hands in his pockets to wander away the sun went behind the cool dark hill though the waves still glowed white gold and the sea was dark blue but the shore had gone into shadow and a cold wind came at once 
like a creature that was lying in wait. The upper air seethed, seemed to hiss with light, but here was a shadow, cold like the arm of the dark octopus, and the moon already in the sky. Home again. But what was home? The fish has the vast ocean for home, and man has timelessness and nowhere. I won't delude myself with a fallacy of home, he said to himself. The four walls are a blanket I wrap around in, in timelessness and nowhere, to go to sleep. Back to Harriet, to tea? Harriet? Another bird like himself, if only she wouldn't speak, talk, and feel. The weary habit of talking and having feelings. When a man has no soul, he has no feelings to talk about. He wants to be still. And meaning is the most meaningless of illusions, an outworn garment. Harriet and he, it was time they both agreed that nothing has any meaning. Meaning is a dead letter where a man has no soul, and speech is like a volley of dead leaves and dust stifling the air. Human beings should learn to make weird wordless cries like animals, and cast off the clutter of words. Old dust and dirt of corpses, words and feelings. The decomposed body of the past whirling and choking us, language, love, and meaning. When a man loses his soul, he knows what a small, weary bit of clockwork it was. Who dares to be soulless finds the new dimensions of life. Home to tea. The clicking of the clock. Tick-tack, tick-tack. The clock. Home to tea. Just for clockwork's sake. No home, no tea. Insouciant soullessness. Eternal indifference. Perhaps it is only the great pause between carings, but it is only in this pause that one finds the meaninglessness of meanings, like old husks which speak dust. Only in this pause that one finds the meaninglessness of meanings and the other dimensions, the reality of timelessness and nowhere. Home to tea. Do you hear the clock tick? And yet there is timelessness and nowhere, and the clock means nothing with its ticking, and nothing is so meaningless as meanings. Yet Richard meandered home to tea. For the sun had set, the sea of evening light was going pale blue, fair as the evening, faintly glazed with yellow. The eastern sky was a glow of rose and smoke blue, a band beyond the sea, while from the dark land ridge under the western sky an electric fierceness still rushed up past a small but vehement evening star. Somewhere among it all the moon was lying. He received another summons to go to Kangaroo. He didn't want to go. He didn't want any more emotional stress of any sort. He was sick of having a soul that suffered or responded. He didn't want to respond any more or to suffer any more. Saunter blindly and obstinately through the days. 
but he set off the wattle bloom the whitish mealy ones were a flower in the bush and at the top of huge poles of stems big blackish crimson buds and flowers flowers of some sort shot up out of a clump of spear leaves the bush was in flower the sky above was a tender virgin blue the air was pale with clarity the sun moved strong yet with a soft and cat-like motion through the heavens it was spring but still the bush kept its somberness along all the pellucid ether the eternal unlighted bush what was the good of caring what was the point of caring as he looked at the silent morning bush gray still in the translucency of the day a voice spoke quite aloud in him what was the good of caring of straining or stressing not the slightest good the vast lapse of time here and white men thrown in like snow into dusky wine to melt away and disappear but to cool the fever of the dry continent afterwards afterwards in the far off far off afterwards a different sort of men might rise to a different sort of care but as for now like snow in aboriginal wine one could float and deliciously melt down to nothingness having no choice he knew the kangaroo was worse but he was startled to find him looking a dead man a long cadaverous yellow face exactly the face of a dead man but with an animal's dark eyes he did not move but he watched richard come forward from the door he did not give him his hand how are you said richard gently dying the one word from the discolored lips summers was silent because he knew it was only too true kangaroo's dark eyebrows above his motionless dark eyes were exactly like an animal that sulks itself to death his brow was just sulking to death like an animal kangaroo glanced up at somers with a rapid turn of his eyes his body was perfectly motionless did you know i was dying he asked i was afraid afraid you weren't afraid you were glad they're all glad the voice was weak hissing in its sound he seemed to speak to himself nay don't say that kangaroo took no notice of the expostulation he lay silent they don't want me he said but why bother i'm dying i'm dying i'm dying suddenly shouted kangaroo with a breaking and bellowing voice that nearly startled richard out of his skin the nurse came running in followed by jack mr cooley whatever it is said the nurse he looked at her with long slow dark looks statement of fact he said in his faint husky voice don't excite yourself pleaded the nurse you know it hurts you don't think about it don't hadn't you perhaps best be left alone yes i'd better go said richard rising i want to say good-bye to you said kangaroo faintly 
looking up at him with strange beseeching eyes richard very pale at the gills sat down again in the chair jack watching them both scowling go out nurse whispered kangaroo touching her hand with his fingers in a loving kind of motion i'm all right oh mr cooley don't fret don't she pleaded he watched her with dark subtle equivocal eyes then glanced at the door she went obedient and jack followed her good-bye lovat said kangaroo in a whisper turning his face to somers and reaching out his hand richard took the clammy feeble hand he did not speak his lips were closed firmly his face pale and proud-looking he looked back into kangaroo's eyes unconscious of what he saw he was only isolated again in endurance grief torture shame seethed low down in him but his breast and shoulders and face were hard as if turned to rock he had no choice you've killed me you've killed me lovat whispered kangaroo say good-bye to me say you love me now you've done it and i won't hate you for it the voice was weak and tense but i haven't killed you kangaroo i wouldn't be here holding your hand if i had i'm only so sorry some other villain did such a thing richard spoke very gently like a woman yes you've killed me whispered kangaroo hoarsely richard's face went colder and he tried to disengage his hand but the dying man clasped him with suddenly strong fingers no no he said fiercely don't leave me now you must stay with me i shan't be long and i need you to be there there ensued a long silence the corpse for such it seemed lay immobile and obstinate yet it did not relax into death and richard could not go for it held him he sat with his wrist clasped by the clammy thin fingers and he could not go then again the dark mysterious animal eyes turned up to his face say you love me lovat came the hoarse penetrating whisper seeming even more audible than a loud sound and again lovat's face tightened with torture i don't understand what you mean he said with his lips say you love me the pleading penetrating whisper seemed to sound inside summer's brain he opened his mouth to say it the sound i came out then he turned his face aside and remained open-mouthed blank kangaroo's fingers were clutching at his wrist the corpse face was eagerly upturned to his summers was brought to by a sudden convulsive gripping of the fingers around his wrist he looked down and when he saw the eager alert face yellow long jewish and somehow ghoulish he knew he could not say it he didn't love kangaroo no he said i can't say it the sharpened face that seemed to be leaping up to him or leaping up at him like some snake striking now seemed to sink back and go indistinct only the eyes smouldered low down out of the vague yellow mass of his face
the fingers slackened and richard managed to withdraw his wrist there was an eternity of gray silence and for a long time kangaroo's yellow face seemed sunk half visible under a shadow as a dusky cuttlefish under a pool deep down then slowly it came to the surface again and richard braced his nerves you are a little man a little man to have come and kill me came the terrible pathetic whisker but richard was afraid of the face so he turned aside he thought in his mind i haven't killed him at all what shall you do next came the whisper and slowly like a dying snake rearing itself the face reared itself from the bed to look at summers who sat with his face averted i am going away i am leaving australia when next month where are you going to san francisco america america came the hissing whisper they'll kill you in america and the head sank back on the pillow there was a long silence going to america going to america after he's killed me here came the whispered moan no i haven't killed you i'm only awfully sorry you have you have shouted kangaroo in the loud bellowing voice that frightened richard nearly out of the window don't lie you have the door opened swiftly and jack very stern-faced entered he looked at summers in anger and contempt then went to the bedside the nurse hovered in the doorway with an anxious face what is it rude said jack in a voice of infinite tenderness that made summers shiver inside his skin what's wrong chief what's wrong my dear old man kangaroo turned his face and looked at summers vindictively that man's killed me he said in a distinct voice no i think you're wrong there old man said jack mr summers has never done anything like that let me give you a morphia injection to ease you won't you leave me alone then in a fretful vague voice i wanted him to love me i'm sure he loves you Rube. sure he does ask him jack looked at richard and made him a sharp angry sign with his brows as if bidding him to comply you love our one and only kangaroo all right don't you mr summers he said in a manly take it for granted voice i have an immense regard for him muttered richard regard i should think so we've got more than regard i love the man love him love him i do don't i rue but kangaroo had sunk down and his face had gone small he was oblivious again i want nurse he whispered yes all right said jack rising from bending over the sick man summers had already gone to the door the nurse entered and the two men found themselves in the dark passage i shall have to be coming along mr summers if you'll wait a minute said jack i'll wait outside said summers and he went out and down to the street into the sun where people were moving about they were like pasteboard figures shifting on a flat light after a few minutes jack joined him poor rue it's a question of days now 
said Jack. Hard lines, you know, when a man's in his prime and just ready to enter into his own. Bitter hard lines. Yes. That's why I think you were a bit hard on him. I do love him myself, so I can say so without exaggerating the fact. But if I hated the poor man like hell and saw him lying there in that state, why, I'd swear on a red-hot iron that I loved him, I would. A man like that, a big, grand man, as great a hero as ever lived. If a man can't speak two words out of pity for a man in his state, why, I think there's something wrong with that man. Sorry to have to say it, but if old Harry himself had lain there like that and asked me to say I loved him, I'd have done it. Heartbreaking it was. But I suppose some folks is stingy about sixpence, and others is stingy about saying two words that would have given another poor devil his peace of mind. Richard walked on in angry silence. He hated being condemned in this free and easy, rough-and-ready fashion. But I suppose chaps from the old country are more careful of what they say. Might give themselves away or something of that. We're different over here. Kick yourself over the cliff like an old can if a mate's in trouble and needs a helping hand or a bit of sympathy. That's us. But I suppose being brought up in the old country where everybody's frightened that somebody else is going to take advantage of him makes you more careful. So you're leaving Australia, are you? Mrs. Summers want to go? I think so. Not very emphatically, perhaps. Wouldn't want to if you didn't, so to speak? Oh, Mrs. Summers is all right. She's a fine woman, she is. I suppose I ought to say lady, but I prefer a woman, myself, to a lady any day. And Mrs. Summers is a woman all over. She is that. I'm sorry for my own sake and Vicky's sake that she's going. I'm sorry for Australia's sake. A woman like that ought to stop in a new country like this and breed sons for us. That's what we want. I suppose if she wanted to stop and breed sons, she would, said Richard coldly. They'd have to be your sons. That's the trouble, old man. And how's she going to manage that if you're giving us the go-by? Richard spent the afternoon going round to the customs house and to the American consulate with his passport and visiting the shipping office to get a plan of the boat. He went swiftly from place to place. There were no difficulties. Only both the custom houses and the consulate wanted photographs and Harriet's own signature. She would have to come up personally. He wanted to go now. He wanted to go quickly but it was no good. He could not get off for another month. So he must preserve his soul in patience. No, said Richard to himself, thinking of Kangaroo. I don't love him. I detest him. He can die. I'm glad he is dying. And I don't like Jack either. Not a bit. In fact, I like nobody. I love nobody, and I like nobody, and there's the end of it, as far as I'm concerned. And if I go around loving anybody else, or even liking them, I deserve a kick in the guts like kangaroo. And yet, when he went over to the zoo on the other side of the harbor, and the warm sun shone on the rocks and the mimosa bloom, and he saw the animals, 
the tenderness came back a girl he had met a steamer acquaintance had given him a packet of little white extra strong peppermint sweets the animals liked them the grizzly bear caught them and ate them with excitement panting after the hotness of the strong peppermint and opening his mouth wide wide for more and one golden-brown old man kangaroo with his great earth-cleaving tail and his little hanging hands hopped up to the fence and lifted his sensitive nose quivering and gently nibbled the sweet between richard's fingers so gently so determinedly nibbled the sweet but never hurting the fingers that held it and looking up with the big dark prominent australian eyes so aged in consciousness with a phantomless dark fern-aged gentleness and gloom the female wouldn't come near to eat she only sat up and watched and her little one hung its tiny fawn head and one long ear and one foreleg out of her pouch in the middle of her soft big gray belly such a married couple two kangaroos and the blood in richard's veins all gone dark with a sort of sad tenderness the gentle kangaroos with their weight in heavy blood on the ground in their great tail it wasn't the love he felt for them but a dark animal tenderness and another sort of consciousness deeper than human it was a time of full moon the moon rose about eight she was so strong so exciting that richard went out at nine o'clock down to the shore the night was full of moonlight as a mother of pearl he imagined it had the warmth in it toward the moon a moon heat the light on the waves was like liquid radium swinging and slipping like radium the mystic virtue of vivid decomposition liquid gushing lucidity the sea too was very full it was nearly high tide the waves were rolling very tall with light like a menace on the nape of their necks as they bent so brilliant then when they fell the foreflush rushed in a great soft swing with incredible speed up to the shore on the darkness soft lighted with moon like a rush of white serpents then slipping back with a hiss that fell into silence for a second leaving the sand of granulated silver it was the huge rocking of this flat hollow foreflush moon dim in its hollow that was the night to richard this is the night and the moon he said to himself incredibly swift and far the flat rush flew at him with foam like the hissing open mouth of snakes in the nearness a wave broke white and high then ugh across the intervening gulf the great lurch and swish as the snakes rushed forward in a hollow frost hissing at his boots then failed to bite fall back hissing softly leaving the belly of the sands granulated silver a huge but cold passion swinging back and forth great waves of radium swooping with a down curve and rushing up the shore then calling themselves back again retreating to the mass then rushing with venomous radium-burning speed into the body of the land then recoiling 
with a low swish, leaving the flushed sand naked. That was the night, rocking with cold, radium-burning passion, swinging and flinging itself with venomous desire. That was Richard, too, a bit of human wispiness in thin overcoat and thick boots. The sore was deserted all the way. Only when he came past the creek on the sands, rough wild ponies looking at him, dark figures in the moonlight lifting their heads from the invisible grass of the sand and waiting for him to come near. When he came and talked to them, they were reassured and put their noses down to the grass to eat a bit more in the moon dusk, glad a man was there. Richard, rocking with the radium urgent passion of the night, the huge desirous swing, the call clamor, the low hiss of retreat, the call, the call, and the answerer. Where was his answerer? There was no living answerer, no dark-bodied, warm-bodied answerer. He knew that when he had spoken a word to the night half-hidden ponies with their fluffy legs, no animate answer this time. The radium-rocking, wave-knocking night, his call and his answer both. This god without feet or knees or face, this sluicing, knocking, urging night, heaving like a woman with unspeakable desire, but no woman, no thighs or breast, no body. The moon, the concave mother of pearl of night, the great radium swinging, and his little self, the call and the answer without intermediary, non-human gods, non-human human being. End of chapter 17, part 2, Kangaroo is Killed.